You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, welcome to another Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths, joining me Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell, as always. Welcome any and all Colts fans here to the show. The Horseshoes are finishing up their final week of minicamp about to send everyone home for the summer chap and my goodness first of all before we get started we, we usually talk about the five weeks you know between the end of mini camp and training camp as the quiet time this could be a particularly long quiet time this summer for most nfl teams and certainly will be with the colts yeah and get used to it this is this is going to be the off season going forward this will be the quote unquote compromise we talked to frank today and we we can talk about that later on but he mentioned how they got together with with players before the off season was set to begin, and he was wondering, "Am I just going to get three days the mandatory mini camp?" So we talked about this last week, and I, I'm pretty sure that had not the Colts, the, the management, agreed to this two week compromise, that the players would have been in lockstep with everyone else, and they'd have been here in June, and that's it. So, and Frank even admitted, he said, would I like to have had another week or two? Absolutely. So you're going to have to have quality time with players because this might well be the offseason as we know it moving forward. We will discuss some mini camp buzz from these past two weeks. Had some interviews with Frank Reich and quarterback Carson Wentz, a couple other players today. Uh, Mike and I were on the call. We'll share our thoughts on that. And uh, also check in on some betting lines for the Colts this season. Joe has been kind enough to, um, to uh, what's the word, to stoke our degeneracy here on uh, the Colts Blue Zone podcast. So we'll see if any of those uh, appear particularly interesting as the season approaches. But first, we'll start with the news for the Colts and around the NFL as well. Uh, the Colts announced this week that Peyton Manning and Edger and James will receive their Pro Football Hall of Fame rings on September 19th when the Colts take on the Rams, hosting them at Lucas Oil Stadium. Both will be enshrined in Canton, Ohio, just a month beforehand in August during the Hall of Fame game, as you as obviously between the Cowboys and the Steelers that weekend. Um, but uh, it's certainly a, a time to welcome in two of the all-time greats who are already up there in the um, – in the in the ring of honor but uh will receive their their hall of fame rings uh chap when uh we hopefully anticipate a a full crowd there jim ursay certainly does uh but uh we'll uh fans in attendance for that rams game will get to get to see peyton and edge one more time yeah it's gonna be really a, a, a an interesting return to, to some type of normalcy at lucas oil because then in november 28th we've got robert mathis going in the ring of honor so we're going to see three of the all-time greats, all-time greats, in a short period of time. But Manning and Edron, they're going to have their time where they're really focused uh, in, in Canton in August. And then the local fans will get a chance to sort of share the moment. So it'll be a cool time. Mike, before I get to Joe on this, I mean, Edron had, had just left the team before the Super Bowl win. But, but people here in Indy and people with the media, I mean, they still... Uh, associate him just as much with with those great Colts teams uh, in that era as they do Manning and Harrison and and Wayne and all those guys. From from my perspective, do you agree? Having lived through that yourself, no question. It was a little unfortunate that that they moved on from him when they did, but to kind of show you his impact 
Keep in mind that owner Jim Irsay gave Edron James a Super Bowl ring because he knew he was part of getting the team to that point. It just so happened that Edge played a position that at that point in his career, the team decided it was, you know, the, the, the transition to Joe Adai, a first-round pick. And as Bill Pullian always used to say, and you could argue uh, whether the, the value in it, but he'd rather get rid of a player, especially a running back, a year too soon than a year too late. Edgerton went on to have a couple pretty good years in Arizona, and but he, he'll be a Colt. You don't go in as a as a Colt or a Cardinal or a Patriot, whatever, in the Hall of Fame. You go in as a player, but Edgerton's a Colt, true and true, and he he's he's such ingrained in the history of this team that uh, it, it's too bad he couldn't finish his career here. That's seldom seldom happens, but. Uh, Edron James, and he's, I tell you, he's still personally, he's still my all-time favorite Colt because he just told you stuff. He didn't care. He didn't He didn't think twice about it. He didn't care if we were writing it down in our notepads or you guys were trying to, to get audio of it. He'd drop a few obscenities just because that's him. But he was just so fresh and, and honest. And when you, when you mention your top five or six Colts all-time, he's on that list. Joe, I'm sure even Edron would melt your cold running back hating heart, and you would want to be in there in Lucas Oil <laughs> Stadium in September. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, the Colts clearly made the right move when they did. They won the Super Bowl the next year. But Edron James, I, I got so much love for this player. I got his bobblehead sitting in the other room there next to Peyton and uh, Marvin Harrison's. He's he's one of my favorite players of all times. And, and really, any Colts fan's got to got got to have love for Edron because like Mike said the personality the way he ran just the way he he carried himself and represented the horseshoe he's a great player and uh, I'm so excited he's finally making it into the Hall of Fame now I already mentioned Jim Irsay has been optimistic about the Colts returning to full capacity at Lucas Oil Stadium this season but I found it very interesting that the Colts right now this week are one of only two teams in the NFL that have not received approval to safely open at 100% capacity before the 2021 preseason begins. Without getting into a political discussion here, which I'm sure our, our, our many fans would love, and I have absolutely no interest in getting into it all, I just, like, I, I found it very odd that here in Indianapolis that, that they're one of the two areas, they're one of the two places that have not been approved to open at 100% capacity. But still, Mike, I think you know, like if, if you're a betting man, back to our de- degenerate nature again, but um, I, I would bet that come week one, even though they're not approval, they don't have approval right now. I think they will have approval by the time September comes around, barring some drastic circumstances changing. Yeah, I'm just assuming that's because as of right now, there's still local restrictions in place. And again, like you said, you can argue you want however you want on the political spectrum, but Marion County has been one of the more uh, slow to, to 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 ease up on things. I believe, but yeah, I, I fully expect by, by August, September that we'll be back 100%. Jim Irsay has been talking about this since March. So, so I, I think that's that's certainly to be expected. Again, like you said, barring, heaven forbid, uh, a, a downturn. So I think we're going to see a full Lucas Oil this, this, this fall. Now, one of the more intriguing storylines, certainly one that's created plenty of buzz online for the Colts over the past week or so. And that is the future destination of uh, likely future Hall of Fame wide receiver Julio Jones. 
Uh, he clearly wants out of Atlanta, said so on a call with Shannon Sharp on live television saying, quote, I'm out of there. And as Joe, we were talking about beforehand, you, you weren't sure exactly if Julio th- knew he was on live TV at the time. But uh, holy heck, that was a it was a scathing uh, couple seconds of, of, of television there. You certainly think that the the damage done in that relationship between Julio and the franchise, the Falcons, is pretty pretty clear for him to to say something like that, whether it was in private or completely in public, if he did know he was on TV. But um, I, I would imagine that in, in, a, in a trade scenario, the Falcons would want no part of him being in the NFC. So an AFC team seems like certainly the more, most likely destination. Yeah, and two of the teams that keep cropping up, Chris Sims reported that um, someone he trusts with knowledge of the matter says Jones has the Patriots and the Tennessee Titans quote, very much on his radar, end quote. Uh, Pretty much the opposite of what Colts fans want to hear. Two of the Colts' biggest rivals over the last 20 years, the Titans and the Patriots. Um, But Julio appears to be on the move. When exactly that happens will probably depend on when Atlanta gets what they deem to be a decent trade offer. And his comments to Shannon Sharp on live TV made that more difficult for negotiating um, on Atlanta's side, trying to get more out of teams. So unless Atlanta can get two or more teams involved and kind of drive up his price, they're probably not going to get a whole lot for Julio Jones. I've seen second-round pick tossed out there as the likely cost for Julio. Um, but if only one team is interested, and Julio is clearly not interested in playing there anymore, they might be able to get you know, have to take like a third round pick or something for this player. So it's a very interesting situation, especially from a player like Julio Jones. You know, there's all these diva wide receivers. Julio over his time in the NFL has not been one of them. He's been more of a quiet guy, keeps to himself, kind of a private person, not one of these big personalities that we've seen. So uh, he's still playing at an elite level. Um, he, he dealt with some hamstring, I believe, injuries last year. But any team that gets Julio Jones is getting better in 2021. Yeah, we've, we've talked. I've mentioned this stat here on this podcast before, so forgive me if you've heard it. But anyway, that also brings me to, hey, if you want to subscribe to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, we certainly encourage you to do so. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week. So then you can hear me repeat myself frequently. But uh, Julio <laughs> Jones, his his yards per game in NFL history, he leads the NFL in in career yards per game average he averages 95 and a half yards per game in his career the next closest is calvin johnson who's down at 86.1 he's a full nine yards per game more than the next best receiver and then right behind calvin johnson you have michael thomas at 85 antonio brown at 84 odell beckham at 83 so so there's a log jam behind calvin johnson but, but Mike Julio has, has a full nine yards per game, or he's clearly been one of the most productive receivers in NFL history. But with that also comes a price tag that it, when you look at it, I don't know if the Colts would be willing to pay. I'm not sure if the Colts are able to pay uh, on a couple of levels. Let, let's say that they, they, Atlanta holds firm on a second-round pick. Well, the Colts have that next year's second-round pick as a conditional to the to the Eagles. I'm kind of curious. Let's say the Colts say, okay, we're going to make it work. How do you trade next year's number two when you think it may be a one? I don't know how you, how you technically trade a pick that's conditionally already traded. 
I don't know if you can. Yeah, so, it would you, have you, to be conditional on the previous condition. I would think. Well, but right. uh, <laughs> would you go? Would you go to the Phillies and say, "Ah, we're going to make it a one because we needed to trade our two? We, we're, I don't know how you can do it beyond that. The idea that Chris Ballard would would relinquish a one and a two ne- in next year's draft. It's beyond the pale. I don't see that happening. On top of that, you know, getting to the to the bottom line as well, the Colts are about fourteen million under the cap, and we've said before you can do a lot of things being creative under the cap. You really can. You can you can you know squeeze a lot of stuff into a, a small bag. But they're going to get extensions done for Darius Leonard and and Braden Smith in the next I don't know month. And it's going to increase their cap numbers a little bit because they're going to get creative with those contracts. I just don't know how you 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 squeeze in more on a Julio Jones. I don't. You can't extend. He's got three what three more years on his. I don't see how. I don't. I just don't see how you make it work on so many levels. And having said that, having him in this offense would do wonders. I mean, can you imagine the the threats? they would have with their running game, with the offensive line, with a quarterback who loves to throw the ball deep. And all of a sudden, T.Y. Hilton is a complimentary guy and Michael Pittman. So it, it, it really, I understand the buzz from Colts fans, but someone smarter than me, and I know there's a lot of you people out there, tell me how he could work if the Colts wanted to make this work. All right, let me let me let me. I agree with you, Mike, but let me just play devil's advocate a second and see and see if we can try and make this work. So Julio Jones, he's fifteen million dollars in twenty twenty one. The final two years, he's about eleven million dollars each year, which if if he plays at his current level, is a great price for that level of wide receiver. Um, T. Y. Hilton will be off the books next year. We're, Colts are paying him eight to ten million, so that's not that much more than the Colts are paying T. Y. right now. If the Colts cut Mark Glowinski, they saved $6 million. And so maybe they could afford Julio this year, work out something with either Braden or Darius Leonard, and then figure out the rest of the contracts going into the future. That That's the most positive spin I could put on this for the Indianapolis Colts situation. And I think they have solid backup options at guard between Pinter and uh, Chris Reed, who they signed from the Panthers. Um, and, and then you sandwich them between, you know, standout players like uh, Smith at right tackle and Kelly at center, and it, it'll kind of elevate their level of play. But but that's the most positive spin I can put on how the Colts make this work, at least cap-wise. Um, if, if they want to trade, I don't know, a third-round pick next year and in 2022, maybe Atlanta will go for that instead of just one second-round pick. I'm not quite sure what the compensation would look like. It depends on how many teams got involved. But if the Colts were to make it work, I think it would have to look something like that to get it done. Yeah, it it, it would need work. Go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, yeah, it would need work to get it done for this year for sure. And uh, cutting Glowinski, Mike's talking about beyond the pale if Chris Ballard lets two first-round picks go. He talks so much about um, wanting – wanting depth, especially in the trenches on offensive and defensive line, and particularly more so this year when the NFL is extending the regular season to 17 games. I get what you're saying, Joe, and playing devil's advocate with Golinski, but that's, again, that's a situation I would find very unlikely that it, that it would ever happen. And again, as saying, I understand what you're trying to do just to give an, an option that there are ways to make it work. 
But uh, I, I, and that's that's another topic that we've that we've covered here, saying that hey, if you if you're going into this year with a with a light offensive defensive line, like what what are you doing with uh, that area that you just know there has to have to be injuries coming? There's one extra game to go through, so to get rid of a a, a guy who's been on your line starting for a couple of years would be, uh, in my opinion, uh, chap pretty unlikely to happen. Well, because again, I understand Joe's and Joe makes some good points, but, right, right. But every one of the points is anti-Ballard. It, 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 would, it would be so out of character. Uh, it, it's funny when the first couple, two or three rounds of the draft were going on and we wondered who uh, who took Chris Ballard hostage because they weren't trading back. <laughs> for, for him to do something this dramatic would really tell you how, how they believe that they are that close. They're one player away from doing something special. But it would take... So many anti-Ballard moves. And again, the gymnastics on making it work with the salary cap would be tough. And giving up draft picks. I, I tell you, keep that thought, Joe. But I just, <laughs> I, I think that's so far, again, beyond the pale. I just don't think there's much chance of that. But you bring up, Joe, the two favorites would be the Titans and the Patriots. And between those two, I'm sure Colts fans would much rather have him go to uh, to the Patriots and the Titans, even though you certainly no, don't want to see the evil empire get any better. But you also don't want to face Julio twice a year, even if he's 32 years old, which, by the way, would make him the oldest Colt on the roster right now if the Colts were to bring him in, unlikely as that may be. T.Y. and Jack Doyle both 30-31 right now. But um, w- do you think, uh, Mike, that, the, that, this, that this addition would be better for if, if let's say, if Julio Jones went to either the Patriots or the Titans. Would would that put either of them up there? It like take really the next step to make them uh, a contender in in the AFC. I think the Patriots are still a quarterback away, so it, I, for me it would be hard to say they're a contender in the AFC even with Julio. But for the Titans, it could put them right back there in the mix if they get another dangerous player on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, because that's that's where their their offseason losses have been. Right. Would you, was it Jonu Smith and Corey Davis and? And, and who's gonna who's and Humphrey gonna, Humphreys true, so that the, and I don't know I don't know whether Joe had their cap situation here could they make that work or not? Uh, Titans only have three point five million dollars in effective cap space. There's right just now. Only, so there's only too. and again most teams the Colts are going to they 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 keep like five million dollars of cap space going into a season, right? For moves you have to make, but again, it's amazing. If you want a player badly enough, you find a way. You just do. Uh, that's one reason, that the, along with the fact that Julio Jones wants out, that's one reason that the, that the Falcons need to make this work. Is I believe they're like $400,000 under the cap. That means you can't even sign your draft picks. Right. So, so they've got work that they've got to do, and now it's being forced on them. Uh, but, yeah, I, Tennessee would not be a good thing for the Colts because – at some point, you have to just expect Derrick Henry to not be able to run, cut off, you know, 200-yard games every other month. So for them to get a, a quality player, like, like I, I'm glad you mentioned that about Julio Jones being the all-time leader in yards per game. That's over a career. It's not like, well, last year. No, this is sustained excellence. He's only 32. We saw Marvin and Reggie being very, very productive when, when they were – 34, 35. So this guy's got two or three more good years in him. Guys, would would Julio Jones and A.J. Brown be the best wide receiver tandem in the NFL? Because I think it might. 
I, I need to look. I, I need to look at them, but I, 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 they would be top five without even batting an yeah, eye. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 ugh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I really have to put more thought into it, but certainly, uh, certainly up there. Uh, I, I like um, what's his name, DeAndre Hopkins, and and me would would probably be a top five <laughs> wide receiver pair in the NFL just because it's DeAndre Hopkins. We all know what Chap thinks about him too, you but what, I mean, there there you have Hopkins and you have Larry Fitzgerald. Is Larry Fitzgerald still there? He's still playing one more year. I think so. They got AJ Green. Yeah, uh, yeah Rondale and Moore they got Rondale Moore. Purdue. Yeah. yeah, Purdue's own. So so that's a really dangerous uh, wide receiver room in general. You could certainly put that as one of the best in the league. Say maybe uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but I'd still take yeah, Julio that's a, that's and AJ really Brown one. over them. So yeah, I, yeah, I think I would too. I would too. So interesting, very interesting. But again, DeAndre Hopkins and Mike Chappell, number one, <laughs> uh, wide receiver pair in the NFL. Um, let, let's get to the mini camp buzz from the Colts this week. As we've said, the second week of mini camp for the Horseshoes, the two that they will have before parting ways for the summer. A um, <clears throat> couple of news and notes from just these last two weeks. Talking to some players. Oh, uh, we're going to lead off. Sorry, let me go, go ahead. Let me cut what, you off ahead. here. We just got some breaking news. NFL sets twenty twenty two cap ceiling at. $208.2 million. That's for next year. That's for correct? next year, 2022. Yes. Okay. So what's this year? Is it like 170, was it? Or one, one, 182. 182. Okay. So it's an increase of like $20 million for next year. So that I think none of us are surprised by that. Just with the loss in revenue last year that was going to go down this year. But with the new TV deals, things are going to go back up in a hurry. And it helps uh, a team like they, the Colts with a lot of extensions to do. Yep. That's that's completely accurate. So, uh, no one doing more fist bumps than Chris Ballard right now in his office. <laughs> yes, looking like a uh, Jersey Shore party with the uh, <laughs> the fist bumps. But anyway, fist pumps. Excuse me. Uh, now to the mini camp buzz, as I was so rudely interrupted by Joe my trying to move on breaking news. the show. Exactly. Shame on you. <laughs> uh, ben Banigus, who will start off with the defensive end and second round pick from two years ago. Uh, had some uh, positive things in his rookie year, but not a whole lot his second year. Um, Bangu says he's not too worried with the stuff that happened last year, though, and, quote, this year is a new year, and I'm ready to work with my guys. Chap, there are a few players, I think, who are more under the microscope than Bangu for this coming year, uh, and especially with what the Colts did in the draft this year, bringing in, uh, bringing in Odangbo and bringing in Quiddy Pay. Uh, the competition at defensive end is going to be mammoth, and if, if Bandigu doesn't uh, doesn't buck up with it, we shall say uh, his tenure as a Colt will be shorter rather than longer. Yes, we we've gotten probably fifteen twenty players on Zoom the last two weeks, and none were. I, I guess, like you said, is, is more under the microscope than him, and he wasn't really uh, uh, receptive to the line of questioning, which I understand. I mean, I, I'd be the same way if somebody says, well, you've been pretty crappy the last couple of years. What's up? <laughs> and he's, he's, you know, like I wrote, he's got blinders on. He's looking, he's looking ahead. But when the general manager says kind of, this is a big year for Ben, I mean, you know, that tells you everything. He said that a couple of years, Chris Ballard said that a couple of years ago about Taekwon Lewis. And Taekwon got his act together. It was, it was pretty darn good last year. And 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 Ben at the same point in his career, and with the depth they've got, like again from a Chris Ballard after the draft, he told us that he, when you draft two defensive ends, one and two, that should send a message to the room. When you don't re-sign 
uh, Justin Houston and Denico Autry leaves, uh, he, they're looking to reinforce that. And when you look at the depth chart, there's going to be a couple of, of name players. I guess you'd use names. I'm not saying players who've really proven themselves, but name players, name recognition players that will be cut. And they're not going to keep a guy around just because he was a, a, a second-round draft pick a few years ago. So this is a major year, a major training camp for Ben Banigou. You don't want to get rid of a guy too early, but you don't want to hang on. And, you know, I the cautionary tale, I guess, is Jerry Hughes, who for three years, I think it was here, really never got it together. Whatever the reason, scheme fits, whatever. And then he goes to Buffalo, and he's pretty doggone good. He's one of the top ten pass rushers over an extended period. And you don't want to get rid of a guy too soon, but at some point, this is a production business. And when you're when you're a healthy scratch in eight of the last ten games, including the playoffs, when you knew you had to get pressure on Josh Allen, you had to get him off his spot, and, and he's not active, it, it, it just spoke volumes. So we'll see if the light goes on. He's, for the most part, been healthy. Uh, th- this is a monster offseason and training camp for Ben Banigou. I've I've kind of compared how Chris Ballard has has referenced the different situations with Ben Banigou and uh, Rock Yassine kind of in my head because they're both second-round picks. Uh, and the, the way Ballard talks about Rock is – well, it sometimes takes cornerbacks a couple of years. Like right. he, he's, I, he sounds like he's been more forgiving on that end with with Rock and with uh, with Bandigu. It's not quite as as soft. It's it's more. It's a little bit more of a kick in the pants than it is a uh, a hand to hold and bring you on. Like what what one more uh, one more off season to see what you can do. It, it, I, I I don't know if I'm mistaken with that, Mike. If you if you see things differently, but that that's how I've taken it from from what Chris has had to say about those two players. Yeah, because he, he he went out of his way, I, I guess to to defend Rakusin. Well, it's a difficult position, and it does take you know, and he's played some good ball for us. We didn't get that on Ben Banigou. There wasn't, you know, he he's got this, that, and the other. But it, it was more of a, of again putting a putting a target on him and saying now is the time. You know, I I don't even consider remotely that Rockius things in a in a if you if you don't have a good camp you're gone. That's not the case at all. Uh, it is the case with Ben Banigou, and you know I I hope he and his family don't get tired of us talking about this, but. This is his job now, and, and if you can't even get on the field, and, and maybe one of the biggest indictments about him is he's not a major factor on special teams. And if, if you're a linebacker, defensive end, you know, the athletic defensive end, and you can't be a, a major factor on special teams, then you can't be active on, on game day. We saw that with Jerry Hughes. He wasn't really a factor on special teams either, so – you know, this is a case that we're going to be following him, Banigou, all of training camp. And if he doesn't have a good camp or if he doesn't flash in preseason games, it's, at what point do you say the light's not going to come on and we have to move on? You know, they moved on from Terrell Basham a whole lot sooner. Now, there, there were circumstances. They needed the roster spot and all that stuff. So I, there, you get past the Carson Wentz spotlight and all this, Eric Fisher. The one player who's got the most to lose this training camp has been Banigou. Joe, what do you, what would you consider a successful year three for him? Because, I mean, as a rookie, he gets on the field for 26% of the defensive snaps, 
only 10% last season. Um, what do you think would be a good number for him there uh, to uh, kind of solidify his future with the Colts, even if it's just in a reserve role? Yeah, I think he would. I mean, even just having a reserve role every week would yeah. be a step up for him this year. And I think a successful year from Ben Banigou, maybe about four sacks, you know, kind of a situational pass rusher, a guy who, uh, I mean, he's going to have every opportunity. We talk about, you know, a lot of names at defensive end, but none of them are proven. Um, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to maybe even start if he really puts it all together. I don't find that likely, but the opportunity for him is there. Um, so I'm thinking maybe a guy who rushes the passer, um, especially on third and long, and maybe gets you around four, maybe if you're lucky, five sacks. I think that would be an encouraging year out of Banigou, and then you hope he can build on that in year four. What do you guys think? I agree. I think four would be fantastic. And uh, if you can get there, awesome. But I really do think that there will be a if if the players allow it, you know, if they if they perform well enough in practice, because how you practice determines if you play. I, I think that the Colts have every intention to rotate on the defensive line more so even this year than in years past because of what I've already said, that there's going to be an extra game and coaches want to keep these players healthy throughout the season. The easiest way to do that is to keep a good rotation going on the defensive line and bring in eight guys, easily nine guys maybe, who are active if you can manage that many to be active on a typical NFL Sunday and so that they all come in, they all rush the passer or stop the run, whoever it might, whatever it might be, but just don't, don't over um, – don't – don't pour too much on them so early in the season that by the end of the year and as the hopefully the playoffs begin, uh, everybody's bodies are just in shambles at that point. And the, the way that you can, you can mitigate that is just to rotate more. So I really do think there will be more of an emphasis this year on rotating more on the field, on the defensive line. So that will be key for Bandigoos to prove in practice that he deserves a spot. They're not just going to hand spots away like candy, but, deserve that he deser- but prove that he deserves to be playing on the field in that rotation. I would prefer to have going into a season knowing that I'm going to get X number of snaps and X number of sacks from Justin Houston and, and Danico Autry. I, I just I like that that uh, that known aspect of it. But without those guys here, there will be opportunity. I get the impression from these two weeks of camp, from talking to Quiddy Pay and, and even from Frank and Ballard, that Quiddy Pay should be your opening starter at right defensive end. I really do. Everything else, I mean, if I had to guess right now on a depth chart, I'm guessing Tyquan Lewis might be your starter at left end. But but everything else is wide open. This is this is uh, the, the upper. If 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 Ben Banikou can't emerge and flourish in this situation, then he won't. Because and what you mentioned too, Dave, one of the contributing factors to being inactive last year. Matt Eberflus always talks about you earn playing on Sunday by what you do Monday through Friday. That's just what that's the way it works. So when a player's not active, a lot of that has to do with he, he didn't do enough to earn it. There will be every chance, whether it's Banigou, Ture, Muhammad, whomever, these guys will have the opportunities to show they belong. And if they don't show they belong, they will be somewhere else. Well, let's get to Kaboko Ture because he spoke with the media on Wednesday uh, saying that he had some ankle surgery back in February to address the posterior tendon there 
in his ankle. And hey, if you're a pass rusher, and especially Kamoko, if you're a speed rusher, you've got to go quickly. And there's a whole lot of torque and tension being placed on that posterior tendon in a uh, in a speed pass rusher. So it's understandable how even when he came on the field last year, he didn't. He looked like a shell of his former self from the uh, the start of the 2019 season, where he where he really performed very well until his incredibly unfortunate injury in the in the win over Kansas City in Kansas City. So um, he's entering a contract year. Um, once again, what do you think, uh, Mike, that Kamoko has to prove this year to uh, to the Colts to show them that uh, he should be part of the long-term solution here? Well, initially stay on the field. That's number one. Uh, it's, it's, I was taken aback when someone asked him on the Zoom call Wednesday that, you're ending your contract year. You're thinking this is his fourth year. You tend right. you tend to forget that he's played 25 games and he's missed 23 games. So uh, what I found really interesting when we talked to Chris Ballard uh, after the draft, he really still beats himself up over putting Teray out there last year. As I don't say as soon as they did, but when they did. Because I think there was some, there might have been some discussion as do we do the follow up surgery now? Now keep in mind, he was medically cleared to play. I mean, they they weren't throwing a guy out there that on on one leg, and and Teray wanted to be back out there. But in hindsight, they really think that it would have been beneficial to the player to to either not play or to have the surgery quicker and, and just last year's a red shirt year. But, again, it's a, he gave us every indication he'll be ready for training camp, before training camp. And we've probably – we talk about seeing flashes of players. I mean, we've only seen small flashes from Trey because of the injuries. And what you've seen, you really, really like. But, again, this is about availability. And, and you just hope that this guy stays healthy because maybe he is that guy. Maybe he's your left end. Or maybe he's just one of those guys you put out there – I, th- I think they want more than him, ju- than him just to be the a designated pass rusher. They think he can be more. But start in little, little doses and let him be part of that pass rush package that could be Pay and Tyquan Lewis and DeForest Buckner inside and then Ture. Pretty good group if, 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 they, if those players are what you think they are. So uh, the, the, the key thing is that it appears when they go to camp he will be healthy. He will be – the ankle will be no longer. He'll have all the strength back in it. And you just cross your fingers that he stays healthy. It's kind of like Paris Campbell. I mean, God, what you see, you love. You really, really like it. But availability, man, you know, it's, it's, what they, it's what Reggie Wayne always used to say, the greatest of abilities, availability, and that's what you've got to have at this level. Joe, we were all bullish on Kamoko at the start of last year, but I think just looking back in hindsight being 2020, uh, I, I don't think that what we had in 20, I, I think rather that the situations we all faced last year in 2020 what was worse to Kamoko than to, than to probably anyone else on the Colts just because he couldn't go through the normal type of rehab that you would with the surgery, and then you get to the season and just things are all weird with COVID protocols and, and, and all that, like with, with how exactly he can work out and where he can and what he can do. Like, like I said, I, I just think that, that last year was a, 
was a big, it could be an aberration. Now, do you fall victim to fault feeling bad for yourself and seeing what you can do? I, I don't think that's that's anywhere near his mind, but like I, I, last year's situation made it so that it would have been very difficult for him to succeed, and uh, now he get, just gets another another opportunity to do so. Yeah, I wonder if he's going to change his number like Paris and just kind of start fresh because it's kind of what he needs to do, just start fresh this season. And, and if, if he can even just regain the form of showing you those flashes again, I think that would be enough for the Colts to sign him again on a low-level one-year deal. Because, I mean, those first few games of that, what was that, 2019, 2019 season? 2019 season, yeah. Man, he looked like he was about to be a close to 10 sack a year type of pass rusher uh he was getting after i remember he was getting after the chargers he was getting after the falcons um he was doing some really good things coming off that left side and then the i mean even in the chiefs game i think the injury was sacking patrick mahomes if i remember correctly or at least getting in there to help with a sack half sack maybe um i really liked to before the injury and i i'd feel really bad if something uh like the injury really just killed his career because it's basically cost him two seasons now. Um, you look up, he's in his fourth year because his second and third year he was dealing with the the brutal ankle injury. So hopefully he'll be completely healthy. He can regain confidence in it and just kind of go from there because like, like we talked about with Banigou, the opportunity will be there for Ture to get playing time and get snaps and get pressure on the quarterback. It's all about is he healthy and... You know, does he still have that same kind of tenacity and that same kind of flexibility? Is he the same player he was before the injury? We'll go to the other side of the ball. The Colts are one of just two teams entering this season without a quarterback who took at least one snap for them in a game in 2020. I think we did this trivia question the other week on this uh, on this podcast, didn't we? Do we did bring we? this up? We may yeah, have. I, I mean, I, I know I know the other team. But because I, I think we did this uh, last time. Oh, it's yeah. The Jets, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the Colts and the Jets, the two that enter the season without a single quarterback who took a snap for them last year. Um, well, then, but, well then, the, then, then trivia part two. When's the last time the Colts entered the season this way? Do you remember that? Uh, would it be 2012 with luck? Correct. Who was who was his backup? Oh, heck, if I know. Uh, Joe, do you know? Yeah, but I cheated. I read Mike's article, but it's Drew Stanton. <laughs> you're the guy. Uh, I, I I always know that yeah. there's there's one guy that reads my stuff, and you're the guy. That's right. <laughs> so where, where do we, where do you think I get my rundown from? <laughs> That's right. But, but anyway, behind Carson Wentz for the Colts, it'll be Jacob Eason, who is entering his second year, and uh, then sixth round pick this year, Sam Ellinger, along with Jalen Morton as well. So those are the four guys uh, that they're, they're going to have into camp. Um, Eason said, again, he was one of the, uh, the players who spoke with us in the media for the past couple weeks. He says he doesn't believe he wasted a single minute here last year, even though it was obviously different than the typical uh, NFL rookie um, orientation to the league. Um, Joe's question here, should we be concerned with the Colts' backup quarterback situation? And, Mike, I don't see how you can be anything but concerned with the back. And maybe that's the wrong word, I don't know, but I, I kind of I, – I, I'm fine with using that word because – you don't know a single thing about any one of these three quarterbacks behind Carson Wentz. You know some things about Carson Wentz, and you can be a little concerned about him as well as your starter based on what happened last year. But the fact that none of these guys have taken an NFL snap, that is, that is mightily concerning to me. I, I, and we've discussed this leading up to the draft. 
And during free agency, we thought it would behoove the Colts to have a veteran backup, someone like a Joe Flacco or an Andy Dalton, guys who aren't going to, they're not going to sell tickets to a game on Sunday, but they can maybe win a game come week 14 or 15 if Carson Wentz gets knocked out. And like when you look at the roster they have right now, you just don't have any confidence. I don't think that any of these three guys can do it. And that's not saying that they can't do it, but it is saying they haven't proven anything in this league. So whenever you don't have proven options to, to back up a quarterback in Wentz that has some question marks himself, that raises some red flags to me. And, and we'll, see, we'll see what they do. Chris Ballard again told us that, that right now they're going into camp with, with these guys and they're, they're not going to bring in a veteran. That's open. That's still on on the table. I went back and looked. If they do that, some options. And I'm telling you, Robert Griffin the third. He's probably the most enticing. Matt Barkley, Matt Schaub, Josh McCowan, Ryan Finley, Nick Mullins. Uh, now there's always a chance that someone's going to be cut on roster cuts, but. Remember, when the Colts had to get that veteran guy a few years ago, it was Brian Hoyer, and he went down in flames, and he, you know, it's kind of harsh, but he lost him two games at Pittsburgh and Miami by making mistakes. So if they were going to sign a veteran, to me, they would have done it because you had better options out there. Yeah. So right now, now, but are you concerned? How can you not be concerned? Because heaven forbid something happens to Wentz in in week one, week two, week three, you're, you're gonna like you said, you're gonna know absolutely nothing, nothing about Jacob Eason. No, no matter what he does in the preseason or whatever else, for a guy to take his first snap in a game or a situation that matters for a playoff team, for a team that believes it's a playoff team and more, it's it's nervy, but that's kind of where they are. I I. I when they signed Carson Wentz and there was some criticism, I always said, well, what's your plan B? I mean, what else would you want him to do? And that's kind of where we are now. And taking Sam Ellinger in the sixth round, that, I mean, you think he's got they, – they thought so much about him that they waited until round six. So I think he's looking at a, at a practice squad role this year. So they're putting a, a, a ton, a ton of – responsibility on Carson Wentz and they're putting a ton of faith in in uh, Jacob Eason and Joe about about Eason in particular I I, I don't want to come across as too harsh on him but I, I can't give him all that much credit right now either because like, he didn't even have a preseason last year he doesn't have any professional snaps against anyone other than the Indianapolis Colts so like, I, I'm like you you can be you can be optimistic, I think, if you're a Colts fan about Eason because he's been under Frank Reich for a year and you say, hey, Frank Reich has been pretty darn good with quarterbacks over his time here in Indy. But at the same time, you certainly can't be sure of what Eason brings because we've literally never seen him. Yeah, I guess the way I would put it was Jacob Eason, because he's such an unknown, is concerning, but he's also intriguing. I mean, he's a guy who had a lot of talent coming out. He was expected to go higher in the draft. The Colts spent a fourth-round pick on him for a reason. You know, it's not like a six-rounder with Sam Ellinger. They invested a fourth-round draft pick in him, the same round that they've taken guys like Kari Willis and other starters. Um, Marlon Mack, yeah. Marlon Mack, exactly. Grover Stewart uh, around that range. I mean, they found starters in the fourth and fifth round. So they obviously thought somewhat highly of Jacob Eason. Um, maybe not as a starter or an immediate starter, but as a backup or a guy who could maybe – 
he has more potential than your typical backup. And I feel like the Colts, for so long, Jacoby Brissett has been the best, if not one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL for the Colts. I mean, he's he's been excellent when they've needed him. And even when they didn't last year, you felt good knowing if something happened to Phillip Rivers, Jacoby Brissett could come in there and win you a few games. Uh, you don't know that about Jacob Eason, but you also don't know what Eason's ceiling is either. He could come in and show all that talent that he has and look and look very good. Um, I, the chances of that are, you would have to say, slim right now just because you haven't seen it from him. But um, if he gets in there into camp in the preseason games and he just doesn't look good against backup competition, I think the Colts will sign somebody. And every year there's cuts and a few quarterbacks will become available and the Colts will probably pick up some kind of veteran that they can think can win like a two or three game bridge if Carson misses a few games for them. Um, but I guess, again, the words I would put for Jacob B's Easton are concerning yet intriguing. That That's a good description. I like it. I'll allow it. <laughs> and so we can move on. Uh, Frank Reich and Carson Wentz also spoke with us in the media on Wednesday, this Wednesday. Uh, Mike and I were on the call. Mike, I noticed that you were asking Carson Wentz. Uh, your, your question was surrounding uh, just whether he feels the responsibility to to take this team and make it his own that's maybe something uh, just an expression that that we in the media might use uh, or you might hear on a talking head tv show or something hey he needs to make this team his own blah 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 whatever um and you asked him if he thought that was overblown he he said yes he thought that that frank reich is really the driving force about quote unquote making the team uh kind of bend to one person or another so uh, why did you find that question intriguing and and what did you think about Carson's answer to that well it, just because the quarterback is the face of the team with all due respects to the to Chris Ballard and, and Frank Reich it, it's you know it's the old saying about the quarterback gets too much blame and too much credit well that that's where we are and when the owner comes out I was at a month ago when he said we're going to go as far as Carson Wentz takes us for the most part I mean as I'm paraphrasing so it, it, it's just it, – and there were the storylines, and I, I, did, I haven't gotten too much into it or putting much credence about there was a disconnect between Carson and the rest of the team in the locker room last year in Philly, and we don't know that. I mean, we don't know. But everything we've heard to this point is he's really walked in there and tried to be one of the guys and tried to connect. And he's – you know, Frank called him a physical presence on the field, but he also said that the quarterback – it is a cut above, and you, you do expect and, and demand more from your quarterback because, you know, of the position he plays. And so so he has to be more than just another guy. He just does because he, he's the guy that that, that that runs this team. And the whole thing, I think, is this: the new quarterback has got to get earn the trust, maybe more so the respect of his teammates, and that's what they want. And, the one thing where Frank Reich talked about, which was really – Frank always gives us one or two, you know, bullet points. He mentioned how it was a tough year last year for Carson individually and, and the, the Eagles collectively. But he said, humble pie doesn't taste good, but sometimes it's good for you. I think that's what he said. So there is something about Carson looking for that restart, the fresh start, which he's talked about before. But he stressed over and over, did Frank Reich, that they're telling Carson Wentz, you don't have to be the guy. 
you're going to make plays because of who you are and your talent and your ability to extend plays. But we've got people around you. We've got an offensive line. We've got receivers and all this. Do your job and no more. You don't have to be a hero. And that that's what it has to be. Yes, he's the quarterback is different. He just is. He's one of 53, but he's the one that matters most. They want him to be the leader It's and, and carry this team where it goes by doing your job, not doing too much. And I think they're really going to focus on that moving forward. And I think just as someone who has partially followed the Philadelphia Eagles because I grew up half an hour south of Philadelphia, that uh, what Carson has around him this year is better by leaps and bounds than it was in Philadelphia the past couple years. I mean, uh, last year when when your number one wide receiver uh, is an is an undrafted rookie in Travis Fulgham out of Old Dominion. Shout out to Old Dominion, and by the way, and uh, Zach Pascal. Uh, but uh, it, w- when he's your top receiver, that that's that's never a, a, a good thing to to have. So he, he has better players around him, uh, and th- those players have have been impressed by him so far. I mean, we we've we heard Pascal himself say he thinks Carson can can up and chuck it uh, eighty to hundred yards. Now I think hundred might be a, a little bit of a stretch, but. Um, with, with a good wind behind you, Joe, I think I think eighty is not necessarily out of the uh, out of the equation for Carson. He's a big guy. He's a strong guy. I'll bet Jacob Eason and him would have a nice competition to see who could who could chuck it a little bit further. I bet they would. They're both very physically gifted. Carson even more so in terms of being able to scramble and run around. And I mean, Carson Carson's got a little stroke there too. I saw that uh, that game of knockout he played with Mo Alleycox and almost beat him. So that was. That was fun to see as well. I don't know. Everything I'm getting just kind of gives me the sense that Carson feels comfortable. He feels at home in Indy. This seems like a better fit for him. And I feel really optimistic about Carson Wentz going into this season, at least being what Phillip Rivers gave you last year. But the ceiling to be more is there. He could be so much more um, and offer more of those off-script plays. I think Carson Wentz is going to be a success in Indianapolis. Um, And I can't wait to see him play, man. Yeah, the, the, the early signs are certainly good, and, and I do, do agree with you in those points. Um, I, I'll, I'll also say, and this is something we, we've brought up in the past too, Mike, that like right now, during the offseason, there's no adversity really for these teams too much. Sure. So it, it, it always becomes, of course, and of course for you too, Joe, that, that when you go to the season, you get a couple, lo- couple losses in a row, then how do you react? So like everyone is saying rosy things about their draft picks. Everybody's saying great things about the free agents they bring in. The guy, like, it, it's a perfect time for team building, quote unquote, stuff like you said in the, um, uh, the, the game of knockout, you know, between him and Mo Alley in the finals there, which was great. You can go on to the, <laughs> the Colts Twitter account, by the way. It was, it was quite intense. But, but Mike, like, I, I think everything now is positive, which, which is what you would expect. Um, and this is kind of building the base, of course, for, for when adversity strikes, not if adversity strikes during the season, for sure. Yeah, we sort of heard this last year with Phillip Rivers, how all the right things were said. He's, you know, he's familiar with the offense. He and Frank get along and He's kind of walked in here and he belongs. And then they hit the rough patch. Remember the Cleveland game when when mm-hmm. a lot of things went wrong? I do. I was there. It was not and, good. And I, and I can still remember talking to Dan Orlovsky for a story. He said, they got to get him out of, the, out of that lineup. You've got to go to jo- Jacoby Brissett. And and I know Frank and, and Phillip Rivers had a nice heart-to-heart. And the team's 8-3 and three over the last 11 games. And Phillip Rivers... 20 touchdowns and six interceptions. So that's how he responded to the bad times. And I don't think he listens to criticism. 
But yes, what ha- what happens when things don't go well? And there's a real opportunity for things not to go well early if you're not on point with these first five or six games. So I think we're going to know real early about a lot of things that I have questions about about this team, whether it's the pass rush, whether it's a left tackle until Fisher's here, or Carson Wentz. We should have a good glimpse of what this season holds in September. Let's get to some Colts betting futures. Per FanDuel, the Colts' regular season win line for this year is 9.5. 9.5 wins over or under. Titans have a line at 9, so the Colts are, according to FanDuel at least, the uh, favorites in the AFC South. Uh, Mike, you look at the line at 9.5. Uh, that I think it's a pretty good line, but of course, being putting the hook in there, you'd have to go over or under. What do you think? I take over. I, I, I just, again, I, I think they... they, they hold their own early until Fisher gets in, then I think they sort of take off. And I'm, I'm with Joe. I, I really anticipate a good season from Carson Wentz. I, th- I think he'll be at least as good as Phillip Rivers. And like Joe said, he gives you so much more upside. He just does. Yeah. But that, I tell you, these, these people are pretty good about these lines. So nine and a half, it's a very good line. I still take over. That's 10 and 7. I like ten and seven as as my bottom line. Yeah, ten ten wins has always been kind of that uh, that playoff line, at least from from my perspective. Um, since the NFL, of course, expanded to sixteen games back uh, thirty forty years ago, however exactly long that was. But uh, but Joe, I, I I would think that uh, you you think if you think the Colts are a playoff team, which I think a lot of people do, uh, you would you would pick the over here. Yeah, I would take though. I'd have to stop and think about it a lot more for still at the sixteen games because I think nine and seven could be a realistic finish and them still make the playoffs. But with the additional game, I agree with Mike. I think ten and seven is completely reasonable. Um, and if everything comes together well, you know they could win eleven, twelve games. But I think with so many new pieces, I think ten and seven is about right where the Colts will finish up. And so I would take the over on this one, but man, they're sh- they sure make you think with those lines. They always do. That that that's why the ceilings in Vegas are uh, plated with gold, <laughs> because they uh, they know what they're doing more often than they don't. And when you look at the Super Bowl odds for this year, the uh, the Indianapolis Colts hold the eleventh best odds to win the Super Bowl uh, at uh, plus twenty five hundred right now. So the, uh, the leaders in the clubhouse are the Kansas City Chiefs at plus 500. The Tampa Bay Buccaneer reigning champions are plus 650, which, I mean, you bring back all 22 starters if you're the Buccaneers. You're, uh, uh, you're going for two, as uh, Bruce Arians said. None of that running back stuff. That was Kansas City, and he used some choice words in there describing it. He said, we're going for two uh, instead of running it back. <laughs> So, uh, so maybe you like the Buccaneers there at uh, at six uh, at six fifty right there odds. The Colts at twenty five hundred. That's I mean they're big odds for sure. Um, I, I just found it weird, guys, that the Denver Broncos had better odds than the Colts. They're at plus twenty four hundred. That 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 seemed like a, a a strange team to put above them. Everyone else I get the the Broncos side did not who were above them. Yeah, I, I I hit that too. Is is are they anticipating Aaron Rodgers being out there? I mean, yeah, I think right? that was maybe. maybe cooked into it a little bit. Because right, you know, it, as this is sit here, the, the Colts are sixth in the AFC. I, I I can argue easily that they're behind Buffalo and Baltimore and Cleveland. 
Uh, Denver, I don't get. And Kansas City, obviously. So they must know something we don't in Denver. I thought it was a little interesting that San Francisco had the fourth best odds. I know they were what just. What were they the last year? Six, six and ten last year. Something like that. I know they had a ton of injuries and they have players coming back and whatnot, but fourth best odds just still seemed a little high to me, especially in an extremely tough division with the Rams, who are right behind them at fifth, the Seahawks, who are what, the ninth best odds, and Arizona's no pushover either. So I thought San Francisco being that high was a little interesting, but I guess they have a lot of buzz. Yeah, I agree. I, that was That was strange for me to see them that high too, but out of all these teams here, like if I was if I was forced to to pick one uh, out of all of them here, who many? How many do we have here? We have you put the top thirteen teams behind the Colts. We have the Saints and the Cowboys um, on this list. Like I think I think the Bills would be really intriguing at twelve hundred because that's the first big jump, of course, after the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. But um, if the Bills can put it all together, which we saw last year, they were they were a hair's breadth away, I think, from doing so. Um, that would be that would be some value pick there for me if they're uh, if they're up that high. Uh, Joe, anything else on on this list that is intriguing to you? The Packers are always intriguing just because they have Aaron Rodgers, but I mean, I, I don't know if I could bring myself to bet on them just because I don't know exactly what Aaron Rodgers' future is going to be there and how what is what his head is at right now. Yeah, I agree. The Packers. I get the sense Rodgers is going to come back. I saw his interview with Kenny Mayne, and it, it almost seemed like his main point is to send a statement to the Packers organization to kind of, I guess, treat their people better is what Aaron Rodgers feels like. But, yeah, I, I agree with you with the Bills. I mean, they were they were a darn good team last year, and they, they only got better over the offseason. So Buffalo's going to be tough to beat. Um, I might put some money on the Colts just because you guys know I'm a Colts homer. It might be a little fun. Put 10 bucks on there, see if it turns into – I don't know what the payout would be, fifty or something like that. Two fifty. That'd be two fifty payout. Look at you. you ten bucks Look at that it. math. <laughs> yeah, I was told there would be no math. Yeah. I tell you what, one, so. I, I, I'm on the Buffalo bandwagon too. I wouldn't stay away from Baltimore. I like Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I, 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 until the until the league catches up with Lamar Jackson, which maybe they won't. I like the way they're put together, but. Uh, Again, the the Colts at two two hundred or what twenty five hundred. Again, I don't know how all these these things work out. Tenth or eleventh, whatever it is, I, I think that's the, I think that's a very realistic goal. I I I'll go against Joe. I don't think Aaron Rodgers plays for Green Bay again. I, I think they've they've drawn lines in the sand that it's going to be hard to come back. He's such a principled, stubborn guy. I don't know how he walks back all that's been said to this point. And I think yeah. if uh, if you're uh, the Ravens, also Mike, you're uh, if you get the benefit of uh, the re- the referees giving you interceptions when you're falling to the turf and dropping the ball, then then that's True. a great thing in, in your uh, in your favor <laughs> as well, right? There you go. I I, I remain I, I remain the only person in the media, I think, at least in the Indianapolis media, who actually does still think that was an interception, and I will die on that hill. I will take it. <laughs> I will. That's Could okay. you imagine if both Julio and Aaron Rodgers get sent to the AFC this year? I mean, that's going to be a brutal conference if Aaron Rodgers does go to the Denver Broncos, who have a lot of other pieces in place. That kind of catapults that they're what I might put the Broncos above the Ravens at that point if they land oh, Rodgers. I, I would. They might go up above the 49ers at that point, for crying out loud. Yeah, they might jump all the way up right behind the Bills. I would, I'd put them right up there, 1,200, 1,300, easy. easy. Boy. Yeah. 
Let, let's not think about that as Colts fans, right? <laughs> let, let, let's move on. But uh, Colts defensive end Quiddy Pay has the second best odds to win NFL's Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, Micah Parsons, uh, the uh, the top player there, he's at a uh, five fifty plus five fifty there for the Cowboys. And if you're looking at those two, Joe, I think Parsons will certainly be on the field a lot as a linebacker. Like he's almost certainly going to be a starter down there. Pay, we just don't know yet. Uh, with the Colts, I think the opportunity is certainly there, like we've said. And uh, perhaps if you were, if we are a betting man, which I mean, we're talking about it here in this segment, so maybe we are, <laughs> maybe we're not. You'll never know. But um, I, I, we think that Quiddy has a good shot to be the starting right defensive end, so he should be on the field quite a bit. I just think Parsons will get more opportunities to do things, so I understand why he's the favorite. But boy, Quiddy Pay has the opportunity to put up good sack numbers too. So those those can always be eye popping numbers when it comes to awards like this at the end of the year. I think Parsons was more of a sure thing as a prospect um, coming out. I mean, he was a lot of people considered him the far and away best defensive player in the draft. He fell a little bit because of positional value. You know, linebackers typically don't go as high as maybe a defensive end would. But I, I, you look at this list here, you got Parsons, Quidipay, uh Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa, who fell to the second round with Cleveland, Jamin Davis, uh, the first-round pick, linebacker for Washington. Defensive end Jalen Phillips, first-round pick, uh, pass rusher for Miami. And then Patrick Sertan down there is the last one I have on the list. Uh, he's the only non-linebacker or pass rusher on here. And that's because sacks and tackles are going to win the award. Whoever puts the flashiest numbers um, in those two departments will probably get Defensive Rookie of the Year. And because of the opportunity to start right away, and his talent, obviously, Quiddy Pay um, is near the top of the list. So I don't think he's a bad bet, but I agree. I think Parsons is the most likely to win the award because he's also going to have an opportunity to start, and he's probably going to rack up over 100 tackles. Of course, Darius Leonard, Mike, just won this award a couple years ago in 2018. So that, that would be that would be a heck of a great sign for the Colts' defense for the next 10 years if they can get two of these winners within uh, 18, 19, 20, 20, four years of each other. Math, like I said, math. Yeah, and, and again, I think he'll be given, Quiddy Pay will be giving more of an opportunity than maybe a Dwight Freeney did in 2002. Remember, they didn't start Freeney until midseason. I mean, it was, like, it was like the eighth or ninth game, and I think it was in Philly, of all places. So I think that they, 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 want, they want to put Pay out there, and, and if he holds up, you know, as a three-down guy, as much as they want to rotate, he will have more than enough opportunities to make plays, and if he's among the Rookie of the Year candidates in in December, the Colts will be sitting pretty because they, they need this guy to be the player they expect him to be early. All right, guys, one more here. Jo- Joe's Sportsbooks, over under five and a half sacks for Quiddy Pay. I'll oh, go under. Oh, oh, I go over. Ooh, I would take the over I'll on this under. one. I, I already said I think a podcast or two, I think it's – his floor eight. as a player is going to be at least six a year. You're taking eight? No, I, I think his floor should be, once he gets going, eight. But I think as a, yeah. rookie, as, as a rookie, it's over-under is five and a half. If, yeah. if, he's, if he's under that, the team will be disappointed, and I think fans should be disappointed. Agreed. Ouch. 17 games, I think he should be able to get six sacks. All right, all right. I'm the hater here. I get it. But, uh, yeah, if he can be anything like Dwight Freeney, the 2002 first-round pick, 11th overall out of Syracuse University, uh, that, that would be tremendous. In his first year in 2002, as Mike was alluding to, 13 sacks, nine forced fumbles. 
So, I mean, my goodness, he, he never had more forced fumbles in his career than that very first year. And uh, certainly was a, was a one-man wrecking crew, the former Orangeman. And now that we've gotten done with our uh, contractually required Syracuse University reference, uh, we can wrap things up here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. So we do encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Also subscribe, as I mentioned earlier, get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week. You can follow each of us individually at on Twitter. Joe is at Roto Street Joe. Mike is at mchapel 51 And I am at Dave G underscore sports. Once again, thanks for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we will see you next time. 